Please note, in this episode we discuss themes of slavery and the suffering that it caused, which may be upsetting to some listeners. Britain was extremely active in the slave trade. British ships trafficked at least 3.3 million African people. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. In today's episode, we're looking at an everyday object with a very important message behind it. It's heavily illustrated with scenes of people and words, but when you look closer, you realise that these are scenes of slavery and abuse. Today's object is an abolitionist envelope. The envelope is quite small, at only 12.5cm wide and 7.5cm tall. It's made of off-white paper and the back is heavily illustrated. The illustrations are in the style of woodcuts or lithographs. On the top flap is an image of enslaved African people being corralled or sold, with their hands tied and some even bound together at the neck, while white slave owners and traders lean on barrels and converse. Below this are three separate images of enslaved people being whipped and beaten. In the bottom left corner, there is an image of a woman fleeing with her child, and at the bottom edge, a black man sits with a book on his knee and his hand outstretched. All these images are intersected and framed by several quotes, the largest of which read, All things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do you so unto them. Ye who take freedom from men, how will you answer it to God? The postmark tells us that this envelope was posted from Rochdale in 1858 and the address on the front tells us that the recipient was William Satterthwaite of Queen Street, Lancaster. We do not know what was contained in this envelope. However, to fully explore the topic, we'll also be drawing on a letter or collection of notes, which were also donated to the museum by the same family. This can help us shed more light on the complex and long-running story of the abolition campaign. We spoke to Dr Alexander Scott, assistant curator and researcher at the International Slavery Museum in Liverpool, to find out more about the envelope and the meaning behind the images on it. He started by giving us a brief introduction to the envelope and notes, and told us how we know they relate to abolitionism. The first is an envelope which has illustrations showing scenes of slavery, and the scenes feature iconography that's really familiar to abolitionist campaigns. Uh, The second is referred to by the museum as a letter, but it might just be a collection of notes. The contents of the letter or document discusses the transatlantic slave trade and specifically it calls for Britain to abolish the slave trade. We don't have a massive amount of information about the two items, but together I think they convey a really interesting story about the history of transatlantic slavery and abolition and Lancaster's involvement in it. My opinion is that the letter and the envelope originated from two distinct eras. The letter is actually anonymous besides the initials JFS in one corner, which doesn't really give us much to go on. It also doesn't have a date, but we can actually make quite an educated guess based on the content. The letter refers to Britain's ongoing involvement in the transatlantic slave trade, 
suggesting it was written before Parliament passed the abolition of the Slave Trade Act in 1807. The content also gives some more specific clues. It starts by citing evidence from a House of Commons committee on the slave trade, which first sat in 1789. So all that evidence helps date their letter somewhere between 1789 and 1807. The envelope is much more straightforward. It was addressed to William Satterthwaite of Queen Street, Lancaster, and is post-stamped April 1858. These details identify the likely recipient as William Satterthwaite, who co-owned a cotton mill at the junction of Queen Street and Alcliffe Road, where the Aldi now is. Here, it's worth noting that Satterthwaite is a common Lancastrian name, and in fact, there are actually several Satterthwaites who were slave owners who lived in Lancaster in the 18th century. It's hard to be absolutely certain, but it seems our William Satterthwaite was from a different lineage to those slave owners. Although, as we'll come to, that's not to say that his family history isn't connected to slavery in other ways. To try to put these objects in context, Alex explained what the transatlantic slave trade was, and when people began to talk about abolition. The transatlantic slave trade was essentially a vast economic system based on the enslavement of African people. It was structured around a triangular trade route. Ships set out from European ports loaded with manufactured goods and weapons. When they reached the West African coast, these goods were sold in exchange for enslaved people. Enslaved people were forced onto ships and transported across the Atlantic in what's known as the Middle Passage. Those Africans who survived the Atlantic crossing were resold and forced to work in brutal, dehumanising conditions. Enslaved people became the main source of labour in various European colonies in the Caribbean and North and South America. The final leg of the triangular trade saw ships return to Europe loaded with goods produced by enslaved labour, such as cotton, coffee, sugar, tobacco and rice. It's worth pointing out that in Africa, abolition was spoken about from Europeans' earliest engagements with transatlantic slavery. For example, in 1526, the ruler of the Kingdom of Congo wrote to his Portuguese counterpart demanding an end to slave trading activity in Central Africa. And protest and resistance was constant thereafter. Most famously, enslaved people in the French colony of Saint-Domingue waged a successful revolution that abolished slavery and created the independent nation-state of Haiti. As for Britain, the idea of abolition really gained momentum in the second half of the 18th century. High-profile cases challenged slavery's legality in the courts in the 1770s, and by the 1790s there was a small abolitionist lobby in Parliament. It's also really important to note that people of African descent were fundamental to British abolitionism. Campaigning by formerly enslaved people raised the profile of the abolition movement, and individuals such as Alauda Equiano and Ottawa Kuguano produced some of the most enduring abolitionist texts. So when was the transatlantic slave trade finally abolished? That's actually a much more complicated question than it might sound on first view. The simple answer is that Britain outlawed the trafficking of enslaved Africans in 1807, with the United States following suit the following year. But that doesn't tell half the story. The 1807 Abolition Act only banned the importation of more enslaved people from Africa. That meant that tens of millions of people remained enslaved in the Caribbean and the Americas. And in fact, slavery was legal in the British Empire until 1833. Even then, abolition was only done on the condition that former slave owners received sizable compensation, whereas many formerly enslaved people remained bound to their masters under the so-called apprenticeship system. 
In the United States, slavery was only fully abolished after the American Civil War in 1865. And it's worth noting that abolition didn't happen in Brazil, the biggest slave society in the Americas, until as late as 1888. What's more, various forms of contemporary slavery continue to exist today. Was Britain very active in the slave trade? And how many people were trafficked through it? Britain was extremely active in the slave trade. British ships trafficked at least 3.3 million African people. Liverpool was the capital of transatlantic slavery during the 18th century. We know that 1.5 million Africans were trafficked in voyages that began in Liverpool. Moreover, transatlantic slavery transformed Britain economically, culturally, socially. The intensification of the slave trade led to the development of new centres of population and industry. Liverpool again grew from a small fishing village into a major global port in just the space of a few decades. Goods produced by enslaved labour also became part of everyday life in Britain. The museum's abolitionist letter, for example, highlights British people's fondness for sugar products. The writer hypothesised that if 30,000 Britons boycotted Caribbean sugar and rum, it would, quote, totally annihilate the slave trade and all its enormities. The museum's abolitionist letter actually provides some insights into the scale of the slave trade. The letter stated that at the time of writing, 9 million Africans had been, quote, torn from their dearest connections and sold into slavery. This actually matches estimates up to the year 1800 from the most authoritative data sets that historians use. Emory University Slave Voyages website estimates that a minimum of 12.5 million Africans were trafficked to the Americas during the 500-year time span of transatlantic slavery. Of these, only 10.7 million Africans disembarked in the Americas, meaning that nearly 2 million people died in ships on the Atlantic. Again, the abolitionist letter alludes to this, asserting, quote, that if mankind in general were to die in proportion to the Africans in the Middle Passage, the whole human race will be extinct in the space of 10 years. The Lancaster letter also offers reminders that there were many other casualties of the slave trade. It remarks that hundreds of thousands of Africans were killed in wars, quote, made only for the purpose of procuring slaves. Likewise, it notes that multitudes of enslaved people died whilst being transported from the interior of the continent to the West African coast. Finally, the letter also notes that once in the Americas, tens of thousands of people died annually during the so-called seasoning period, which forcibly habituated Africans into the brutal conditions of enslaved life. What was Lancaster's position in all this? And what can we infer about the involvement of someone like William Satterthwaite, who received our envelope in the mid-19th century? The Slave Voyages database lists 125 slave ship voyages that began in Lancaster. This is the fourth most for any British port after Liverpool, Bristol and London. Records show that at least 23,000 Africans were forcibly trafficked by Lancaster ships. As recent research by Lancaster Black History Group has also highlighted, some people of African descent lived in Lancaster as enslaved servants during the Georgian era. Furthermore, slavery was central to Lancaster and the surrounding region's economy. Numerous merchants, bankers, ship owners and industrialists from Lancaster made fortunes from 
transatlantic slavery. Um, the city had extensive ties with Liverpool's slave ship enterprises. The profits from all of this activity financed the region's infrastructure. To cite but one example, slave-owning families were among the principal investors in the Lancaster Canal. Slavery underwrote Lancashire's Industrial Revolution in numerous ways. So in the second episode of this podcast series, the object that was looked at was a set of workers' indentures from Low Mill in Caton. The owners of Low Mill were the Gregg family, whose wealth derived from enslaved labour on their plantations in Dominica and St. Vincent's. Lancaster's Queen Street Mill is another case in point. Even if William Satterthwaite's family might not have directly owned enslaved people, some of their wealth derived from the slave economy. Primary sources refer to William's maternal grandfather, one George Crossfield, as, quote, a West Indian merchant. And we also know that the Crossfields owned the sugar refinery on St. Leonard's Gate. The refinery would have received cane sugar, grown by enslaved people in the Americas, and then processed it for sale on the domestic market. Likewise, enslaved labour supplied the raw materials for mills like those on Queen Street and in Caton. The main source of cotton for Lancashire's textile industry was from the south of the United States, where slavery was legal up until 1865. In fact, that helps contextualise the museum's abolitionist envelope. Abolitionists understood that dependency on American cotton meant that Britain remained complicit in slavery, irrespective of any legislation that Parliament passed. This envelope is just one example of the many ways that abolitionists tried to get their message out to the public. We asked Alex to tell us a little bit more about their campaign. Abolitionists used loads of different tactics, and they varied over time. The combination of the letter and the envelope actually exemplified some of the different tactics. So firstly, letter writing itself was important to abolitionists in several ways. Correspondence networks helped abolitionists share ideas and build coalitions of like-minded activists. Letters to newspapers and periodicals also helped publicise the anti-slavery cause. And abolitionists wrote letters and petitions to MPs to try and win their support. New tactics emerged in the 19th century, particularly as technological improvements reduced printing costs and made it easier to produce visual images for mass circulation. The museum's envelope is a good example of this, and how abolition became part of popular culture. Its illustrations closely resemble scenes from the Victorian period's best-selling novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, by Harriet Beecher Stowe, which was first published in 1852. However, the envelope also hints at some of the more problematic aspects of abolitionist propaganda. In all of the images, the enslaved people are shown either as the victims of violence or in passive supplicant stances, as if they're awaiting a divine saviour. These stereotypes belie black people's active agency in abolishing slavery. In fact, Lancaster's own history attests to that agency of black people. There are records, for example, of enslaved Africans escaping from Lancastrian households in the 18th century. And later on, we know that touring African-American abolitionists such as Moses Roper, James Watkins and Sarah Remond spoke at venues in and around Lancaster during the 1850s and 1860s. The speeches gave first-hand testimony of the horrors of slavery and black people's fight against slavery. In fact, there's evidence that our William Satterthwaite might have met one such fugitive from slavery in Lancaster. On 8th of October 1861, James C. Thompson gave a lecture at Palatine Hall narrating his experience of escaping from slavery in Richmond, Virginia. 
The Lancaster Gazette reported that prior to the event, testimonials supporting James Thompson had been written by several local luminaries, including one William Satterthwaite. But if this might seem quite an uplifting note to end with, there's a sting in the tale. The Lancaster Press noted that Thompson's lecture was sponsored by the African Aid Society and was intended to, quote, provide funds to enable Thompson to proceed to Africa to teach the natives in management of the cotton gin. This hints that although abolitionist, the African Aid Society was essentially an imperialist enterprise. The Aid Society encouraged formerly enslaved people from North America to migrate to Britain's colonies, specifically with a view to establishing West Africa as an alternative centre for cotton growing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There are many more episodes in this series where we talk about figures from scientists to suffragettes. 